Live from Columbus, it's the Zone of Truth. This week on the show, Griff and I review the Bud Light Sangria Splash Hard Seltzer Pack, take a tour through distant frontiers in new segment Plane Shift, and of course, answer some listener questions. I'm your host, Steve, in the studio. Throw GM and my co-host, Griffin. Roll a will save. You're in the Zone of Truth. And we're live. We're live, baby. Oh, boy. Griff, how are you doing today, man? Uh, pretty good. Yeah. Pretty good. What you been up to? Not a ton. Yeah? Took yesterday off. Ooh. Kind of off. Took a half day. Mmm. Went drinking. Nice. Where at? Columbus Brewing and then a uh, local cantina. Good stuff. Good stuff. Yeah. 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 What was the occasion? Just wanted a little uh, extra time off. Works a little slow. What's up? Haley took a half day to play Legend of Zelda, so <laughs> I was like, all right, I'll take a half day. Nice. I worked a full day yesterday, but it was chill. I, um, let's see here. I went to the gym after work and then just kind of hung out in my apartment. I was telling Haley earlier downstairs while we were getting ready for the show that it was just a really pleasant evening. It was like kind of rainy out by me, but was it was pouring here like by six o'clock. It was Ooh. awful. Yeah, it was, it was coming down a little bit, but it was this weird situation where the rain was just coming straight down. So, like, I had all my windows and the big sliding door open, and I was just basking in the rain ambiance. It was so pleasant. It was such a nice evening in. I really enjoyed it. We got stuck in the grocery store. Oh, no. Rain, yeah. <laughs> it was, like, pelting the grocery store, and it's one of the ones that has switched from plastic bags to paper bags. Ooh. So it's like, you can't... <laughs> You can't take all your shit outside in yeah. the pouring rain or the bags are just going to fall apart. Mm-hmm. So we were stuck in there for a little while. We probably bought more than we needed to because we were just like, well, I guess we're shopping until the rain stops. Yep. Very fun, man. Well, besides that, what's been keeping you busy lately? What you been into? Mostly the fact that we're going to be done in HLP in less than 10 episodes. Yeah, that so is that, crazy to think of. Yeah, that's been keeping me busy. That and Skull and Shackles. So have you started the prep for that, like, officially? Yeah, I'm done reading. Nice. So now I'm converting. Ooh. Well, I'm still deciding what <laughs> I'm swapping for what. Mm-hmm. But, yeah. So I've read eight books instead of six. Hmm. Just to see what I'm moving around. But Haley and I started watching another anime that I feel like is a natural progression from Owl House, which we were watching. Uh, which is Little Witch Academia, which is is huh. like literally just a witch school so far. Okay. So, I don't know. It's interesting. It's kind of cutesy. Something you keep on. Nice. What's background. it on? Ah, uh, geez. What are we watching Netflix. on? Netflix. Netflix? Yeah. It's dubbed on Netflix, at least the first season. Ooh. I'm still waiting for a One Piece to come out dubbed, which is annoying. Because they're getting through the Wano arc now, and it's supposed to be like the huge reveal of last year is coming out dubbed this, like this summer. But having to wait for it's annoying because I already know what happens. Mm. Gotcha. You're not reading the manga, right? You're just like absorbing it through the internet or whatever. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, it's it's like one of those things where if you do any of the like TikTok or YouTube recommended ads or any of that recommended videos or any of that shit you end up getting spoiled on everything now because everybody's doing like on tiktok or not three minute videos is like the new thing so Mm -hmm. like that shit's just you get spoiled on everything i like know everything that happens in guardians of the galaxy (laughs) three like in a day like spoil in a day i'm like jesus yeah this just in general spoiler country or like not country like culture or whatever is just getting so frustrating well, like, yeah, it's, it's like, the reason that like when a new Star Wars show comes out I set my alarm for extra early on Wednesday so I can watch it before work like yeah. that sucks that I have to do that yeah but you know if you want to entertain yourself at all throughout the day you're going to get spoiled exactly so mm-hmm. it kind of has to be that way yep 
Because I remember you doing that at PaizoCon for Obi-Wan. Yeah, that, that, <laughs> you, that's you right. You literally watched the first two Obi-Wan episodes like at 6 a.m. before we went out and mm-hmm. did the con. Yeah, which was a not ideal way to watch that show. But I didn't want it spoiled for me because also, guess who the fuck's at PaizoCon? A bunch of nerds. They're all going to know about <laughs> They're all going to be talking about it. So, And guess what? They were. Like... <laughs> Maybe not as early as you could have been. No, not as early as I could have been. By by dinner that night, Mm -hmm. it was like people had left the con for like lunch or something and gone and watched it. Yes. Or what it was like is a smattering of those things Mm -hmm. where by dinner that day, everyone that was going to watch it had watched it at PaizoCon, which was hilarious. I didn't even want to bring my laptop. I had to to watch that show. (laughs) So, yeah. So, all right. Is there anything else that you wanted to shout out before we got going along here and I start talking about some stuff that I've been into? Yeah. Something fascinating to me is that Doritos have launched new flavors for the first time in kind of a while. Like they're not like a super persistent, like flavor launching brand anymore. Mm -hmm. I feel like the last new flavor they had that I liked was that like Buffalo Ranch flavor they did. If you remember that, we were like hooked on that for a while. They did like the Buffalo wing. Yeah. 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 Which was a fantastic flavor, but I tried their new barbecue. It is absolute fire. Okay. Is it just barbecue or is it a twist on barbecue? Because he's a new barbecue. I'm just curious here. So it's their like regular Doritos chips. Mm -hmm. It's barbecue flavor. It's like zesty barbecue, I would say. And it it tastes very similar to like the honey barbecue twists. If you've ever had those fruits. Those Fritos. Yes. It's like those, but with like more, even more seasoning. Ooh. More zest. Yeah. Like more zing. Mm -hmm. Oh my God. They're so good. S tier barbecue chips. Wow. Just automatically S tier barbecue chips. But I wanted to see if you had seen any of these because I've only seen one. Apparently, they released tangy ketchup and a spicy mustard flavor. Whoa. And I think it's spice- one flavor. Like- no, no, no. It's okay. two bags. Two different bags. There's a, there's a wow. bright red bag and a bright yellow bag, mm. and it's tangy ketchup and spicy mustard. Hold on. I need you to vamp for a second while I add that to the Zone of the Truth <laughs> episode 113 <laughs> agenda. <laughs> Gotta find the only one I've seen is the ketchup, and I personally not a big ketchup person. So mm-hmm. I was trying to look for like a smaller bag because yeah. I really don't want to get the like big bag of ketchup flavored Doritos. Mm-hmm. and just have that sit forever. I'm very curious about the mustard, and I think I might actually yeah. like that. I saw a person do a review on the mustard, and they were like very pleasantly surprised that it was something they felt like they could eat, like not just as like a couple one-off chips. Sure, sure. So I'm really curious to try those on the heels of the, that new barbecue flavor being really bomb. Mm-hmm. So we'll see. Nice. Well, on my end, I am reading a bunch. I am wrapping up phase two of Star Wars, the High Republic books. So I just finished Catalyst and I'm rolling into Path of Vengeance. I really, really love High Republic phase two. It's a little bit more concise than the first one. But so the High Republic is like when the Jedi were hitting on all cylinders and it's like 150 years before Phantom Menace. And then, of course, what comes next after phase one, phase two, which, of course, takes place 100 years before that. That makes a whole lot of sense. But it's been really good. I've been really enjoying it. It's this weird like, hmm, this weird take on it where the Republic is just starting to make its way into the rest of the galaxy and grow and explore wild space and bring new planets into the Republic and actually build the Republic. So like communication in between star systems isn't working really well and travel is all sorts of funky and you have like hyperspace prospectors going between the stars. So it's pretty interesting. And the driving enemy in phase two is a different type of enemy than I feel that I've seen in Star Wars media. It's like this weird cult, like a wellness cult almost. They're like really nice seeming people on the outside, but they're weirdly militaristic on the inside and saying that like, ooh, the Jedi are bad for using the force. So we need to get the Jedi. No one should use the force because they believe in this like weird sort of butterfly effect ripple where you may use the force to do something minor, but across the galaxy, some calamity might happen because you misused it or used it frivolously. Oh, like the force is like a non-renewable resource. Pretty much, yeah, okay, yeah. pretty much. 
So it, it's interesting. It's pretty cool. I like it a lot. Like I said, it's a little bit more concise. There are less books. It's still a big multimedia affair. There's adult books, YA books, comics, audio dramas all bound together. It's interesting. I'm enjoying it a lot and I'm wrapping it up. So really excited to get to the conclusion. I also saw a movie that I hadn't seen before that I really, really liked. So I got caught up on Yellow Jacket season two and I wanted more as like wilderness survival horror. And I was looking around online, going through different like listicles, trying to find like what would be a good thing to fit, like fill that niche. And I kept seeing Deliverance pop up. Have you ever seen Deliverance? Mm -hmm. Wow. I, yep. I had never seen Deliverance before. You've never seen Deliverance? No, I'd never seen it before. I bet, I bet you really enjoyed that. Fucking love Deliverance. Yeah. It was so good. It's interesting. So I feel like structurally, the story's really strange in that you kind of get through the three-act structure of it, and then there's like 40 minutes left where they're just like scared they're going to get caught and get in trouble and stuff, which is weird. You don't really see that today. A lot of it is shot really well. They like really see these dudes taking their canoe trip down the river. It was interesting to see Burt Reynolds in a non-comedic role. That, that was something I was a little unfamiliar with. And I think the movie had a lot to say for being from 1972. There were a lot of themes of like conservationalism and industry moving out and displacing uh, maybe not necessarily native peoples, but people who have made that land their home and like their livelihood. And I think this is a at least I'm, I think this is a, a more recent term, but the movie essentially at its core is like all about different varieties of like toxic masculinity and stuff and the way that these men really overestimate themselves and, and prioritize themselves over the peoples there and nature and stuff. And the dueling banjo scene that you alluded to fucking rips. It's yeah. so good. It's so cool. Obviously, there's a major content warning around this movie. There's a pretty horrific and difficult to watch even 40 years later sexual assault that happens halfway through. And that's kind of what the movie's known for. I don't think that's a spoiler for anybody. But, you know, that, that aside, I really enjoyed that movie. It's fabulous so well shot and constructed in a really interesting way and has a lot to say for being a two-hour movie that has weird long chunks of it that are just like four dudes canoeing and just like shots of nature a lot happens but also not a lot happens yeah. it's weird yeah i keep saying that you would enjoy this and i'll reiterate it here again like old gods of appalachia if you like that kind of stuff that yeah. podcast has a lot of like deliverance vibes a sure. lot of like encroaching industry vibes a lot of like the the supernatural effect of like that on nature and like it almost turns like the railroad versus nature into like a heaven and hell type of like conflict it's very cool. The first time you mentioned this podcast to me, I subscribed to it. I haven't listened yet. Yeah, I just it's, got it. Really yeah, I just finished season two of that in preparation for my Speak With Plants character. So, Heck yeah. Yeah, season two was fantastic. Season one is very, very good, but I haven't got, gotten past season two. They kind of do like chunks. It's, it's really weird to follow them because like season one, like they got popular and like they got picked up by... I think Rusty Quill, who does like the Magnus Archives and has a Pathfinder show, they got picked up by them to do like all their marketing and stuff. And then it's like, you know, season two, you get like the narrator, like, okay, I quit my job to do this, like type stuff. Cause he's like one of the two people that writes the stories and he narrates most of them. Uh huh. So it's fun to like follow from that perspective, but like the stories are just killer. And it's, it's kind of like if you had Deliverance, but like the story was being told from like eight different perspectives. Sure. And then they like all kind of converge at the end awesome. of it. It's like the Game of Thrones perspective look, but like at like a, you know, horror story like. You said something a moment ago that I think is like my Winter Soldier activation for trying something out. <laughs> Railroad versus nature. Yeah. Hell yeah. That uh, sounds awesome. Yeah, season one's all about the coal mines. Season two's all about the railroad. Sure, sure. So. All right, man. Well, uh, railroad versus nature is one of the classic conflicts. How about us versus this 
Sangria Splash Hard Seltzer Pack. Also one of the classic conflicts. <laughs> yeah, because this one I'm kind of worried about. So let's do it. Take your taste buds on vacation with all new Bud Light Seltzer Sangria Splash. This red, white, rosé, and tropical sangria style flavors are made with real fruit juice guaranteed to make a big splash this summer. We're looking at 5% ABV, 2 grams sugar, 110 calories. You heard correct in that copy. The four flavors are red sangria style, white sangria style, tropical sangria style, and rosé sangria style. Boy, I'm not excited for those. Not at all. Are you a sangria guy, Griff? I'll tell you what, I can drink a sangria, mm-hmm. but uh, in college, when I studied abroad, I went to Barcelona for like two weeks. Yep. And we drank so much sangria there that like, it really turned me off of sangria for a long time. I drank a lot when I studied abroad in Ireland. Yeah, I believe it. Like a lot. To the point where like, I wasn't getting like blackout and like throwing up, you know what I mean? And that sangria trip in fucking Barcelona was the first time I threw up abroad. Oh, no. Maybe three months in. Wow. Okay, sure. And it was all sangria. So gross. So I'm not I'm not the biggest sangria guy anymore. Yeah. My relationship with sangria is like the same relationship that I have with mimosas. Like at their core, the mimosas got the champagne. The sangria's got the wine. I really don't go out of my way for either of those core alcoholic ingredients. And then, so I'll I'll only have champagne or wine a couple times a year. And sangria and mimosa, I might have a few more times than that because they make it a little bit more palatable, but really they're not something that I gravitate towards. So- The fruits are the best part, and that's not what we're gonna get in these. The boozy fruit is my favorite part of sangria. <laughs> Let's talk about how we're going to rate these. So I made a nice wine scale here. Mm. One out of five is going to be toilet or prison wine. Two out of five is Paul Giamatti's fucking Merlot from Sideways. Three is a wine cooler. Four is one of my favorite iterations on wine. Chris's box wine Halloween costume from several years ago. I really enjoyed that. And then five <laughs> out of five is Wine Spectator Magazine's 2022 Top Wine of the Year, Schrader Cellars Double Diamond Oakville Cabernet Sauvignon Napa Valley 2019 Vintage. So, let's just get into it, man. All right. It's the first one we got here. Ooh. Looks like you pulled the Tropical Sangria Tropical Sangria style. This is the one I have the most hope for. So, is there any is there any copy on these guys? I got copy in the gen- yeah tropical um, sangria style. Dive into the tasty paradise of tropical sangria style, swimming with notes of citrus and mango. <laughs> it's gonna be a long fucking day. <laughs> what is that? It's really a shame. Twelve what? of these come in a pack. What is that? That sucks. <laughs> oh boy. Oh my god. It's like rancid wine at the back. Yeah. It's like vinegar. Mm. This room's going to smell good. <gasps> yeah, I just taste the foul wine on my breath. Fuck. That's bad. Suddenly, I'm very happy that I have a mild cold and cannot smell. <laughs> well, we'll set aside a couple of these for you. I think they're gluten-free for later. Yeah, this is really bad, man. That, that I, fucking sucks. It's kind of tough even to start. I, I, the aftertaste is like just so foul. Yeah, it's really gross. And it's still here. Really worrying that that's the one that we're both most excited for. I wouldn't say this is a tasty paradise. Boy. Yeah, that's it, that's toilet prison wine for me. It's scary to start there, but I think this is toilet or prison wine, which is not a great place to start. I'm going to try and turn it around here with the red sangria oh, style. Red. Oh, good. More acid. Well, at least it's the polar opposite of the... The tropical. Does it still smell like fucking dick cheese? Um, not quite. (laughs) That's better. Yeah, that's like 10 times better. Because that is kind of just like a weird cranberry seltzer. It does. It tastes like cranberry juice. Yeah. That one's fine. That's a a wine cooler, in my opinion. Yeah, we're hand in hand there. What's there to really say? I don't know. I didn't get a whole lot of wine flavor. Which which is... is very good. Did, did you read the copy on that one? Oh, fuck. I didn't read the copy. 
Mix and mingle it up with bold berry and cranberry notes of red sangria style seltzer. Okay, so I mean, it delivers on the berry and cranberry. Yeah, that's exactly it. I, God, I mean, they did a fine job here, I guess, on this one. Yeah. Which is good because yeah, I'm otherwise, scared of the other two. All right. We're going to Rose Sangria Splash. Uh, dance the day and night away with juicy berry and subtle floral notes of rosé sangria style. I don't know if you could have sounded less excited for that copy. <laughs> <laughs> Let's see how subtle the fucking floral notes are. Jesus. I think it is the floral shit that's making it taste like despicable to me. What a confusing flavor. It tastes like eating a flower. Mm. Yeah, that's pretty flowerific. Like Flower flowers like sucking pollen. Really tangy and uh, kind of stuck in my mouth. <laughs> um, although I think that's kind of a cumulative effect of all three of these. Fuck. This one I did not hate as much as the tropical yeah, but can sangria. Can you give it a two? <sighs> I still, I still think I'm going to struggle to finish that can. That it's still a toilet wine for me. I think I can struggle through this a little bit. I'm going to give it a Paul Giamatti's fucking Merlot from Sideways, a two out of five. That's admittedly might be a little generous, but the toilet wine tropical was really, really difficult. I couldn't say that those two things were equivalent. All right. We're, apparently, we're going for peach in the white sangria. Yeah. So white sangria style. Every sip of white sangria style seltzer tastes like a bright peach sunset or sunrising, depending on where you are at. Sun rising a word? Should be two words, shouldn't it? I don't know. Oh dear. Peachy. That's oh, fine. Kind of unpleasant version of peach. Yeah. We've but, had I mean, several peaches in the last few packs. Yeah. And I think all of them were better than this. Yeah, but, but I, I mean, don't think it's dog this, shit. This isn't gross. I give this a wine cooler as well. Wow. Three. I think this one's absolutely fine. Yeah. I think I might lean a little lower. I'm pretty not hyped on it. I'm going to give this a Paul Giamatti's fucking Merlot from Sideways. But again, yeah, this is just like kind of a bad version of a peach. And I know they're not going for straight peach. It's peach sangria, but it doesn't mean it's good. I don't know. I mean, compared to the tropical and rosé, it's like... Tropical was awful. That sucked. I was so mad that that was tropical because that should have been better. That was not good. So I guess, I don't know. These are definitely south of mediocre. Yeah. They're not good. They're either not good or very bad. Yeah, the average is a two. They're averaging a two. Yeah. So not the best showing from Bud Light this pack. I feel like Bud Light in general averages like a two five. They've had some packs that hit. I maintain that, but generally these packs have been really lackluster they lately. They should just stick to Rainbow Bud Light. Yeah. So I guess my final verdict, I got to ask you, Griff, do you want some cheese with that wine? I said before that some of them smelled like dick cheese. I think that's the only cheese that pairs with these. <laughs> Jesus Christ. That's foul. But yeah, definitely would ruin the cheese. Mm-hmm. Yeah, I would probably just try and drown it in cheese, going straight off the hunk. Yeah, I go, I, go, I go like triple pungent blue cheese. With <laughs> just try to erase <laughs> try it. Try to erase the flavor of them. <laughs> that might be the call. Yeah, like a real gargonzola <laughs> yeah, or something. <laughs> got a couple questions. Oh, sure. <laughs> On these? Yeah. All well, right. I've got, a, I've got a counter question. Why? <laughs> Eric or Tenlonum says, ask, hey, Griffin, have you ever had wax or soap flowers that tasted better than that floral flavor? Yeah. Okay, good question. Yeah, easily. Yeah. And then uh, Newt asks, compared to the other one out of five drinks reviewed in the past, where does the tropical flavor match up? Ooh, the tropical flavor's probably down with... I'm reaching for it before a sesh, for sure. Yeah, but I think it's... Do we give all the seshes a one? I think I would say it's like, even with the one sesh that just tasted like mint gum, Mm-hmm. I feel like I could drink either of those equally. Sure. Yeah, I think that's probably fair. Top of a sesh pack. Yeah, this is top tier sesh. Top tier sesh, which again, was a one out of five. We got to break these up before moving into our tent pole segment of the show, Griff. I know I was a little hotter on 
I think it was the uh, the rosé. You didn't rate that high, did you? No, because that was the flower one. Yeah, the rosé. All right, so I'll take the rosé. I mean, I'll take the peach since you didn't like that one. And then we have someone truly getting fucked. We got to roll off for this man. All right. Are we rolling D20s? Yeah, D20. I can't in good faith dump this on you, but I also desperately don't want to jump on this grenade. I understand. (laughs) I got an eight. I got an eight. Oh, no. No. Oh, my God. (laughs) Ooh, four. Eight. Okay, well, tropical sangria style, it is for me. I made out like a bandit. Yeah, you definitely came out ahead on this one. Okay. Well, here we go. Plane shift. This is a new segment because you guys voted on a newer mystery segment. Welcome to the Great Plains. In this segment, Griff and I each have left reality as we know it to do some homework on one of the planes featured in the Pathfinder setting. We brought that research here today and will now present it to the listening audience. Prepare to arrive between five and 500 miles from your intended destination. It's time to plane shift. So... We basically both took a look at our plane and we're talking about it. Kind of, you know, how we do like the gods or monsters or whatever. Today, the plane I'm going to be talking about is the lawful neutral plane of Axis. Griff, I have no idea what you're bringing into the table because you haven't told me. But what are you presenting today? Believe it or not, I chose a demiplane. Okay. You may not have known this, but the Book of the Dam is its own demiplane. Excuse me? I'll explain how. Okay, that's awesome. Good choice. All right. Did you want to go first? Do you want me to take point? Uh, I could probably go through Book of the Dam just because it's uh, definitely smaller and less detailed than all of Axis. Yeah, you probably <laughs> saw that. I have like a page and a half of notes. Yeah. So, um, so I'm going to talk about what the Book of the Damned is and the history of it. Sure. Before I get into like how it's actually a plane. So... It's one of three legendary books, and they were written by the angel Tabris, I believe is how you pronounce it. You'll notice that these coincide with physical books that Paizo has published. Book of the Damned is one of the three books, Chronicle of the Righteous and Concordance of Rivals. And between the three books, they purportedly contain all the knowledge in existence. The Book of the Dam specifically describes the Abyss, Hell, and Abaddon. It includes details of, you know, their rulers, their inhabitants, how Galarian is connected to them, and includes a lot of things that evil-aligned people would want to get their hands on, a lot of information that they would potentially use, such as where to find evil artifacts, where to find good artifacts and how to destroy them, how to summon creatures from these planes, how to explore those planes. And being an angel, Tabris kind of puts like warnings on all of this stuff. Like warning, you're probably gonna lose your soul. Like if you do this, et cetera, et cetera. But the history of it, it's a mysterious legendary tome, the pages of which are said to still exist in certain libraries, including the Apocrypha uh, for a Logos in Absalom, where it's called the Black Book. It's part of the collected lore of the Great Beyond, and Tabris was actually exiled from heaven for writing this book. The rulers of heaven ordered the book to be erased from existence in a vault kiln of the Great Library, but the book disappeared and then was not seen again until it was fragmented across Galarian, where it's been mostly pieced together. So there's a couple of copies of mortals have attempted to copy parts of this book that contain pieces of the evil, but are often like incomplete or filled with errors. So there's like a Vudrani version called the Gatgani Folio, and it's got like illustrations of Kashaga's Hellmouth. It resides in a collection of Captain from Elidor. There's Plagues of the Black Sun, which is the Assyriani copy, and it's under Serenite Guard in the Temple of the Redeeming Sun. That one covers Belial and some of the other Ark Devils. The Versex text is the Varesian translation, and it's sourced to the Whispering Tyrant's rule. And so the contents of the book are that it's parsed into three sections, the daemonic section, the demonic section, and the 
diabolic section. So the Abaddon section, the Abyss section, and the Hell section. And mysteriously, the book is constantly updated with new knowledge of evil deeds and actors, spells, conspiracies, creatures, and mysteries that span planets, locations of portals to evil aligned planes, and sites of evil deeds, instructions on, again, like I said before, how to destroy good aligned artifacts, find evil artifacts, true names of fiends, profane rituals, and detailed information about evil demigods and great old ones. And then it accounts divine failures, so times that the gods have failed, uh, whether it be good gods failing or evil gods, so how is this a demiplane? That's what I want to know. <laughs> so the book can be inverted into a portal, which this is the funniest part. The portal is to its bibliography. So the portal <laughs> contains all of the evidence and research used to compile the record. And at its center is a path to what's known as the unspeakable word. The unspeakable word is considered to be both the final page of the Book of the Damned and a massive heart-shaped organ within the book's demiplane that pumps evil thoughts and deeds from across the multiverse into the book's records. The organ, which measures about 30 feet across and 40 feet long, is chained to the center of the book's demiplane and defended by the voice of the damned, which is an entity permanently bound to the plane. This is fucking fascinating. This is weird. <laughs> the voice of the damned is a piece of the exiled angel Tabris. So Tabris split themselves into these books, uh -huh. demiplanes, in order to keep the information current. Hell yeah. Which is crazy. But now, I mean, look at look at the picture of them. They're just this like mockery of an angel that is covered in text. Yeah. Uh, they're like they're it's like they're an old library pages made a construct that looked like an angel yeah That's awesome the cr25 outsider oh so that could like you can fight, fight it yeah you can you can fight it and that could like take on some of the lower level gods yeah it's it's like, about the power level of a demigod yeah so just very cool stuff quickly i want to go over what's in the sections so if we were looking at like the table of contents here, the demonic section would have sections called on the nature of daemons Ride of the Horseman, Pay in the First, which is the first horseman, Creation Suicidal Urge, On Daemons, The Church of Nothing, The Fallen Masters, The Ride of the Four, and The Horrors of the Four. The Demonic section has History of the Abyss, The Maw Eternal, Demonicide, Whispers from the Womb, The Innumerable Host, The Finest Treachery of Hope, Before Sin, The Death and Birth of the Night Ripper, visitations, rituals for demonic transformation, and demonic spells. And then finally, the diabolic section has, first section literally called Before. <laughs> <laughs> the Triumph of Hell, The Iron Heart of Dis, On Dis, A Season of Hell, Order, The Prayer of All Praises, The Peerage of Hell, Spheres of the Male Branch, A Vision of the Pit, Exodus, and The Account of Pious More. So these are each about 3,000 pages long, each section on a piece of the evil great beyond. You're telling and me there's 3,000 pages on whispers from the womb? Oh, no, no, no. The diabolic section is uh, about 3,000 gotcha. pages. It's yeah. like each one of these are 3,000, damn. Mm -hmm. And the cool thing is it can be referenced. So the sections can be referenced by outsiders of that plane through scrying without mm -hmm. any check. That is so cool. like a devil could reference the entire diabolic section by just using like a scry like spell could read the whole thing. It's like a free library. It's constantly updated. Obviously the page count begins to change as more information is pumped through this heart. But the demiplane itself is literally just the bibliography. It's literally just like importing all of the information and having it as a record as, as like a physical record so that like the information is fact checked and real how did you find out about this i've never heard of this before i mean it's in the section on demiplanes sure. and i knew what the book of the damned was so i was like how is that a demiplane <laughs> you know i was like yeah, i was okay. just like curious yeah. because like the other ones are 
either demiplanes you know about, like the Dreamlands, mm -hmm. or they're like demiplanes that don't have a ton of information that are just like like a high-level caster's demiplane yeah. somewhere, somehow in Galarian that, you know. Like, obviously, you have like the Haojin Tapestry is a very prominent high-level caster's demiplane that has a lot of information on it. Yeah. But there's like 30 that are just like, so-and-so's blood rot thing. Yeah, you're like, you know? oh, that sounds really cool. It's like you're his at, apartment in blood rot. Okay. If you're looking up something like this on PFSRD or whatever, you're like, oh, that sounds awesome. You click on it. There's like half a sense of text or like a red like hyperlink or something. You're like, exactly. oh man, that sounded cool, but yeah, not a whole lot yeah. there. Yeah, so I thought that was interesting. I didn't want to reiterate like Abaddon or something because I feel like I've talked that one to death. So I tried to look for something that, that I even didn't know was a plane. Yeah. All right, well, is that everything that you wanted to chat about for the Book of the Damned? Yeah. All right, well, that was really cool, man. Thanks for bringing that today. I'm going to talk about Axis for a little bit. This is the lawful neutral centered realm. It's also known as the Eternal City, the Perfect City, or Utopia. I'll lay out some ground rules for when you are visiting Axis because this is a place of absolute rule law and order so if you are from galarian and i think they have a lot of parallels between galarian and earth like the 24 hour day cycle and month you know 12 months seven days in a week etc all that type of stuff is going to be consistent so gravity and time are normal abadar is the most powerful god there and he chose to adhere to galarian seasons the day night cycle even utilizing like the compass rose so unlike some of these other planes that are just kind of infinite and limited lists and you can kind of just explore and meander and have no real direction there is a north south east and west of axis so Again, strongly lawful, neutral aligned. Your lawful magic is enhanced here and your chaotic magic is diminished. The plane itself sits at the bottom of Phrasma's spire and acts as a little bit of a border between heaven and hell, which when you're familiar with the planes and what alignments they represent makes sense because you've got heaven, which is lawful good and hell, which is lawful evil. And it sits right between them, so that works. The core divinities that live there are Abadar, Arori, and Norgorber, but there are some other divinities that live there as well that might be a little lesser known. So you have Bri, who is the god of clockwork and invention. You have Lysala, an older god of obedience, harsh duty, and fate, but nobody really worshiped them anymore. After the fall of Aslant and Thassalon, my understanding is they were a prominent or at least more prominent player in those pantheons. And then you have Milani, weirdly enough, a good and chaotic god, but her role is to act as sort of a check and balance when oppression or institutionalized inequality happen in access. Because in a society of law and order, as we've seen in the real world that can happen pretty easily so she keeps that in check but that being said she does not live there she has two realms this one here and then one in elysium so let's talk about what access is so i'm just going to read this this is some text straight out of planar adventures but this is going to help explain it then i've got a little bit of history and we got some other cool stuff to chat about in a moment so Axis is a bastion of immutable law set against the ever-crashing tide of pure chaos that is the maelstrom. From the outside, Axis appears as a pristine city surrounded by a wall of gold amid a demolished wasteland littered with ancient skeletal corpses of titans left over from a war during the Age of Creation. Axis is actually millions of separate cities folded and layered atop within and around one another in an elegantly arrayed masterpiece of architecture and city planning. Many of the city districts within Axis are either a deity's domain or the remnants of a domain of a deceased deity. It's pretty pointed. We'll talk about that in a moment. Magical portals at major crossroads connect the countless cities, aiding in navigation and travel. At Axis's back, looming impossibly tall, rises Phrasma Spire, the foundation of the Boneyard. 
So a little bit of history here. Before the rise of mortal life, the realm of Axis was a blank slate, an empty wasteland surrounding the base of Phrasma's Spire. As cities and laws were introduced by mortal Axe, portions of the Maelstrom crystallized and broke away from that churning sea of infinite possibilities. These crystalline shards fell into the rough-hewn wasteland around Phrasma's Spire and became the threefold pillars of the Axumite Godmind, allowing order and rigidity to physically manifest. It is from this seed, this god mind, that the first Axiomites emerged, and from them in time came their Ephorite mortal proxies. So this region has seen some major conflicts, notably one with proteins way back in the day. It is also, like mentioned in that flavor text, the site of a great clash between gods and titans. And then most recently in history was the site of a big clash with the rough beast himself, the god Rovagug. So, who all lives in Axis? Despite this being an adherent place to law and order, you might imagine that everybody looks in Axis and behaves the same, but that's not quite the case. Diversity actually exists within Axis, and I think that's notable because a lot of times in sci-fi or fantasy, when you think or see societies that are based around order, it's like everyone's a clone or everyone is in a hive mind or something. And this isn't quite the exact same thing. So you have a whole bunch of different notable types of denizens, including aeons. These are beings that were originally created on the astral plane and their job or their function is to preserve balance across the great beyond. So all of the different planes by either promoting order or chaos. I think the ones that you would see in Axis probably are the order ones. You also have Aphorites and Axiomites. I'm going to talk about Axiomites first. These are the caretakers of Axis. They were brought into being by the God Mind, and then eventually they spawned a mortal equivalent, which would be the Aphorites or Aphorites, however much emphasis you want to put on that first syllable. And I think they're pretty cool because you can play them in 2E. That's fun. But a little bit more on the God Mind, because I saw that and immediately was like, okay, what are you? I've never heard of that before. That's interesting. So the God Mind is this entity or collection of entities that runs in the background of the minds of Ephorites and Axiomites. It basically kind of guides their actions, but doesn't control them, just kind of leading a little bit of influence within their lives. And in times of great distress for the people, the God mind itself can actually physically manifest in a form in one particular location. It's this single spot between these three tall obelisks in the city of Axis. And when it does, everything in Axis grinds to a halt while it starts calculating and fixing things and working things out. So it's not a God per se, like the name would imply, but it has maybe this essence of the collective whole being more important than the parts that make up the sum of it. It's kind of a like law incarnate, right? Kind of. Yeah. yeah. It's like, forget all those other domains you have. Forget Galarian. I only really care about access uh-huh. and here I am to shape the way access is formed lawfully. In a way, too, it's kind of like, I kind of think of it like a glorified or romanticized national collective consciousness. Like, if aliens came to our world and started attacking us, then you've seen these sci-fi stories where it's like everyone bands together and starts producing munitions and factories and building big robots to fight them or whatever. It's like everybody bands together with one shared goal. And this is certainly like in a being that comes together for that goal, but it's similar, at least in tone, I think. It's Uncle Sam. <laughs> Absolutely. The God mind needs you. Uh, had to take a quick sip of this rosé sangria style, which bleh. starting to regret that three out of five rating. Got a couple more people that live there. <laughs> We have the Apkalus, A-P-K-A-L-L-U-S. This is also a creature that shares in the God Mind, but these are kind of more military figures. They're the defenders of Axis. You also have the Inevitables. 
which were originally created by the Axumites long ago in response to the Protean assault on Axis, and now they serve as guardians. They patrol the streets, they defend the walls, they act as agents of laws across the plains when they need to. Finally, you have this other race of beings called the Mercanas. They are a race who came from, whether it was a different planet or different realm or dimension or what have you, their home went away or was destroyed or what have you. They were driven from it and they now inhabit Axis and act as merchants and traders. They're just a, a, a people who are like-minded with the lawful folks of Axis. So last thing I want to talk about before we move on are some of the notable locations within Axis, like what gives it, um, you know, what, what would you want to go see when you go there? So you have the district of Aktun, A-K-T-U-N. This is the largest one of Axis's districts, and it's sort of the capital of the city of cities, but is also the divine realm for Abadar. So this is where you would find the fabled first vault, which is, for those of you who don't know, Abadar's own repository or kind of bank where there's a copy of every type of creature and object, but is the perfect version of that creature or object. It's a treasury, which is definitely apropos because Abadar is the god of wealth. Interestingly enough, though, it's not like a bank vault in a way that nobody can ever get to it. Access is controlled by Abadar himself, but people could go and visit and see like the perfect version of these things. So it is accessible to visitation, which I did find interesting. A couple more places that you might want to check out. Well, maybe this next one, not so much. Let's talk about the Divine Realm of Norgorber, Dusk Fathom. It is like this undercity, which literally is under the city and connects via portal to different layers of Hell, Abaddon, and the Abyss as well as I believe the material plane acting as kind of a backdoor to access. And what's interesting is that the people in access don't try to get rid of it. They almost kind of pretend like it doesn't exist in a way because the weird cosmic balance of things necessitates there being like a criminal element to the city of law and order. So there is something to have law and order against. It's kind of strange, but sure. Norgorber hangs out here. Then the final two places I want to talk about, you have the Empty Court, which is the original realm of Eridan, which now lies empty and unused. Although part of it was co-opted by Milani and became her little realm within Axis called the Refuge of the Red Rose, kind of like a bastion of refuges in the name, a place where people can hang out and get care. Then you have the Serene Circle, which is Aurori's realm, and it is all about peace and reflection and contemplation. And it has a magical aura over it that dulls or nullifies basically all of your emotions. So you can just focus on meditating and getting perfect, which is, I don't know if I like that or not. Get perfect. Yeah. So that's pretty much all I had on Axis. I know it was a little bit of a lot, but I found it pretty interesting. There were some surprisingly interesting parts about it, like the Milani stuff and the Norgorber stuff. It's not quite as rigid and straightforward as one might think. I thought it was an interesting little bit of a deep dive and I'm excited to check out the other places in Galarian like this. Oh, that was pretty cool. Or rather the Galarian setting, but you know what I mean. I think that pretty much wraps us up for our little jaunts through the plane shift. All right, Haley, we got any questions from the chat? We do, we have quite a few actually, so. Newt asks, if you could make a new demi-plane for Pathfinder lore, what cool things would you add to it? And no, Steve, plane of Star Wars, Snake Girls, and Twilight does not count. Mm. Oh, now you made that really difficult. First of all, I think my plane would be inhabitable. A lot of planes in Galarian lore are not. So I'll start there. I don't know. Probably very nature-focused. I, I like nature a lot. So I don't know, kind of... Pacific Northwestery. I kind of like that. I know that's, you know, it's going to be like, oh, you can't do the Twilight thing. I just kind of like that vibe of pine trees and like kind of rainy weather and kind of hang outside. That's fun. The Teddy Roosevelt plane where it's just like one giant national park with one of every animal. Honestly, that sounds awesome. Pretty cool. I would <laughs> love a national park plane. See cool waterfalls and mountains and stuff. That'd be sweet. 
I don't know what else I'd add to there. Obviously, modern like comforts. A, yeah, that'd have to be like a personal and not like a deific demiplane, right? Yeah. You know? Yeah. Because it's not, I mean, like, if you're going to make it like Jurassic Park, mm-hmm. the demiplane, it's not like it's a demiplane people go to in their afterlife. Yeah. It's more like a... And you know what? I don't follow the rules. We're going to have some snake girls in there, too. It's one of the creatures. Exactly. Hmm. The elemental plane of meat. That is a horrifying image of meat people and meat things and everything is made of meat or draped All in people meat. are meat people. You're already meat people. I feel like this demiplane already exists within like hell or Abaddon or something. Probably. <laughs> something terrifying. Are you, do they call that personal heritage like the double down? I think like so, your yeah. Like meat, your two meats? Yeah. So there's meat inside of you but also your skin is just raw meat. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Or all your bones are also meat. Yes. Yeah, no, we all agree. This makes sense. Yep. Elemental plane of meat. All right, cool. What else we got, Haley? Corey, or the Redacted Demon, has asked, what aspects of Pathfinder lore is your favorite to research? Hmm. Do you have a favorite, Griff? I just like to shit on stuff, so that's why I like Power Rank Kill. (laughs) (laughs) I think my answer has recently up. Actually, maybe this is something I just knew all along. Something regional, whether that is a plane or a country or a continent or something, because what I find when I'm reading through something like a planar adventures or an inner sea world guide is that when you're researching a region, you're not beholden just to one type of thing to research because you'll see like, oh, this region is usually populated with this type of creature. Okay, I'm going to read about that type of creature or this deity lives in this plane. Oh, I'm going to read about that deity now. And then there's a lot, usually in those types of entries, there's a lot of adventure hooks too, which are just fun to kind of theory craft in your mind. So I would just say generically regions. I think it's fascinating to read through region stuff. And I think it's generally well-written. I think I prefer when we do that stuff because then I'm just not beholden to, okay, what's the stat block, Griff? (laughs) Well, yeah, that's why when we talk about creatures, I like to have something that has like a little bit of history or something give you something to talk about besides the fortitude save is higher than the will save (laughs) (laughs) all right what else we got 10 lawn gnomes are eric has asked if you had an hour and five sheets of paper which book of book of the damned concordance of rivals and chronicles of the righteous would you pick and what would you take notes on or copy whispers from the womb all five pages on whispers from their womb. Yep. <laughs> I feel like you could get really strong taking notes on like the artifact section or the true name section of Book of the Damned, but like as a not an evil aligned person. What about before? Before implies like a before creation type of history, or at least that's how I'm interpreting it. Yeah. I think that's fascinating to know. Like, I don't know what existed in our universe before the universe was created. And I would love to know that's cool. So if someone gave me a magical book that said like, Hey, you could learn what happened before happening happened. Yeah. That's fucking sweet. I would fill those five pages immediately unless there was nothing. And then there's nothing on those five pages before blank. (laughs) Damn it. Five pages of nothing. Book of the Dam got me again. I, I think I, I think I do like either Concordance of Rivals or the good one, and look for like artifacts because I think that'd be the easiest way to get more information out of it. Is if you if you got more powerful. Yeah, I think that makes sense. Or just invert it and go into the Debbie plane, <laughs> and then you have all <laughs> the information. All you gotta do is spend time there. Yeah, absolutely. you have all the you have the bibliography in there. That was wild to me. It's like, oh, no, it's not just like he doesn't just cite his sources. He has a copy of every source he's used in this demiplane. That's so cool. And like the sources aren't just books. Mm -hmm. It's like he's got like, how did you get that thing's true name from this guy? I feel like whoever was the author that came up with that idea was definitely also like a Ph.D. student or someone that like had to very fastidiously cite your sources, cite sources. right? So it's like, to this wouldn't plane. it be cool if instead of citing my sources, I opened up a demi plane where whoever was analyzing my work could see where I pulled from? Yeah. yeah. All right, we got another one from a new 
He said, if you could accidentally wander in Axis, like you can accidentally wander into the first world, where would that happen? I think it would depend on what kind of person you are. I think like you could easily like do a botched bank robbery gone wrong, like go through like some back door and, you know, especially if it's like a temple of Abadar or something that is the bank that you're like robbing, you could very easily like fall through something into like Norgerber's realm Mm -hmm. that he would have put there because he's an asshole, you know, by the same token, like how do you stumble across like a normal part of Axis? I don't know. Follow any tax collector. I kind of enjoy your take on it. And I think that would be kind of a fun finale of a module where there's like, where it's broken up into three chunks where it's like prevent, you know, getting ready for the heist, the heist itself in whatever material plane bank. And then the escape route is to go into Axis for the finale and then like escape through there somehow. Or what or what if like That's cool. What if like a Temple of Abadar had like a final failsafe that was like if a bank robber is able to bypass this, we want to bring them in as like white hats, like white hat hackers. Like how the hell did you oh, do this? Like sure. the, the final thing is like if you breach this our last line of defense is to just plane shift you to access. <laughs> it's like, that's all we got. If you can resist that, then you win. But like, <laughs> but if, if you can't resist that, then it's mm-hmm. like, it's not even like a punishment yeah. thing at that point. It's like, Hey, you know, we'll give you like the value of what was in that vault. If you can like teach us how you bypass that. That's interesting too. Cause it's like, you have such a inherent understanding of law and order, or maybe not law and order, but like, our system that you can benefit our like god mind system of being like that's kind of cool yeah like you can you can make us inherently better at like upholding the law Mm -hmm. through your you know criminal knowledge yeah i think that would be an interesting way to hit it what else we got we got raz asked if you were a a pathfinder 2e character with planar heritage what would be your heritage like in real life I think that's the take. Yeah. Because well, like I'm we're both playing planar heritages and speak with plants. Yeah. I think mine's obvious. I think it's a tiefling because I'm a bad boy. That's pretty clear. Well, is, is that is that uh, they're changing that to Nephilim now? Yeah, and I'm mad about it. <laughs> well, it goes both ways. I know, I know. I get huh. screwed on both sides because I lose tiefling and I also lose Vex Asimar. <laughs> yeah. Hmm. Wait, what are they changing? They're changing Tieflings and Asimar to be the same versatile heritage. It just goes like mm-hmm. you could be good or evil. Oh. Not actually good or evil, but you know, you're based off of heavenly outsiders or demonic outsiders. Mm-hmm. Yeah. So that it's no longer like alignment based names. Mm-hmm. I'm not actually mad about it, but Yeah, I could kind of care less yeah, about it. Exactly. <laughs> That's good. Although kinda they'll funny. probably they'll probably lump uh what gonzi and axiomites into it too i wonder yeah i don't know just so that it's comprehensive of like the four corners yeah um i feel like i like the genie kin i specifically really liked suli do we have suli in uh tui we must right is that the water one no suli is the like any element one well, while you talk, I'm going to Google. Newt says yes. Okay. Newt says yes. I think Suli. Yeah. I, I like the. I like not being from like a devil or something, but from a jinn, which could kind of go like any way. Mm-hmm. It's kind of that. To me, it's that like magic blood without having to be divine focused. Yeah. I do think just inherently having control over one or more of the elements is just cool. Or if not control, at least some sort of affinity for the elements is cool yeah being a fire dude's cool being a water dude's cool like yeah sign me up for any of that there's no I'm, wrong answer I'm very excited for the wood and metal people oh yeah awesome i think they announced their names but i don't remember them now but i'm really excited to see what they get yeah because like if you get a plant trade hell we got backup characters for speak with plants right there <laughs> all right well Corey has asked Zonkuthan got the first shadow from the Vault of Abadar. If you could have the first from anything from his vault, what would you get? The first anything from his vault. 
I would take the first key because it's perfect. So it would unlock anything, including his vault. I don't think that's how keys work. <laughs> if it's a perfect key, it should unlock any lock. A perfect key means it means it perfectly fits the lock it's supposed to open. Then how is one key more perfect than another? It's the first key. Smoothly opens key. it. Now, I, I think that means it opens any lock. Any lock that's not Okay, if we both lock. pulled out the ring of keys that we keep in our pockets, we're not going to be able to compare and say mine's better because it opens more things. They just open the right things. I think the perfect key would open any lock. All right. Well, now I'm That's how I choose to think of it. And unless Abadar puts the perfect lock outside of his vault, Mm -hmm. then it would unlock his vault. And then I could get the first meat. Hmm. I could get the first blowjob out of that (laughs) vault, Steve. I know you deliberately said that kind of off mic. (laughs) I don't know if that picked up. I suspect it did. (laughs) Oh, boy. I don't know. Because I guess... This seems kind of short-sighted, but maybe the right answer is to have some sort of, because it's like a first-slash-perfect thing, something consumable, like like a meal or uh, some sort of food or something, so you can see something in its perfect form. I don't know that, like, getting the perfect car is important or, like, the perfect set of dice. Like, I could have a nice set of dice, and I'm not going to be any... I'm not going to, like care about it that much, I guess. I guess. Maybe I didn't understand. Is the first thing assumed to be perfect? I think so. I think that's why it's valuable. I just didn't know. Yeah. There's like, no reason the for the first thing, of something to be valuable. The first of anything always otherwise. sucks. Let's be real. The first of everything fucking sucks. Yeah, it's the origin <laughs> of all things that iterated after. So, like, that's why Zonkuthon took the first shadow, because it is in essence, the most powerful shadow and gives them control over all shadows. Mm-hmm. But it would probably be shaped bad, right? I don't know, Haley. Why don't you go to the vault? You tell us. Well, if Zonkathon took the first shadow, I want the first light because I'm going to light it up. The first light? <laughs> yeah. All right. We got any more questions? Yeah. Eric has asked, what are your predictions for AP book number 200? Oh, that's Ooh, a good question. That's a really good um, question. We've talked about this. Yeah, I mean, so that's why uh, Season of Ghosts is four books, by the way. Mm-hmm. Yeah, so they can end it and then like have two hundred. Two hundred be the first episode or the first of a six book AP or whatever. I'll, I'm I'll, assuming I'll, it's going to be a six book AP. I'll start with something that I don't think it is going to be, and something that I definitely don't want it to be. I don't think it is, and I definitely don't want it to be anything related to Aridan. There have been plenty of APs of stuff that has like resulted because of him but i also hope it's not like a it's issue 200 we're going to explain this mystery i want that to continue being a mystery there are a couple other things that i would i I would want to continue to be a mystery as well i think what would be a pretty cool 200 thing might be something like rovagug related that was like so fucking huge for the setting but kind of never gets really touched on since i mean there are rovagug related creatures and stuff but i don't think there's an ap that's like keep him in the prison or finish him off once and for all like that would be cool well all of the gods together couldn't finish i know him once once and for all so rovagug would be cool like it's already been hinted at by developers that it's gonna have like a lot of callbacks to stuff that's happened mm-hmm. so that makes me think like if you're not killing off the whispering tyrant don't bring him up right yeah right yeah. like if you want to do the Whispering Tyrant, finish him off in 200. Don't, or or don't have him become a god at the end yes, of it. Yes, like, that one too. or the other. I would personally love if it was a Whispering Tyrant one, just, you know, based off of what I've run. Mm-hmm. But I don't... I feel like that one's, like, too close to the chest for them to kill him off. Mm-hmm. You know what I mean? Like, I, I don't... Uh, if they wouldn't do it in Tyrant's grasp, I don't know... Like, they almost just set him up to be, like, an even bigger bad in Tui, and then we haven't seen anything from him. Yeah. I feel like we need more than one AP on that. Mm-hmm. Personally. I feel like that needs to be, like, kind of like the Rune Lords trilogy of Tui. It's like, you know, in one, you kill one of his, like, biggest lieutenants or something, like, that's, you know, ravaging whatever area, like, in two, you, et cetera, et cetera, you know what I mean? Mm-hmm. 
So with that said, I don't really think it'll be the Whispering Tyrant. Um, I kind of think it's going to be... I wanted to say, like, I, I think Tree Razor is going to be in one of these. Oh, that's interesting. But I don't really know how that would, like, tie well to the rest of, like, to, to Pathfinder 1E stuff. Mm-hmm. Uh, like, be a good callback, because he's obviously not really in any of that. Unless it's very much like a, you know, him threatening, like, common areas. Or it's like the origin of, like, it's it's a very, it's like the elf version of Sky King's Tomb or something, because he's in... Keonan. Mm-hmm. Um, so I could see it being that maybe, but I, I kind of agree with your Rovagug idea. I think it's either something like Rovagug related or it's it's like it's going to be another like divinity shift like we had with like Nocticula. Ooh, that would be kind of cool. Which I don't know that we have any right now that are like on the cusp of something like that. And I think if, if you think that's the case, you can probably look to Starfinder and cross off things right like right. abadar is lawful neutral and alive in pathfinder mm-hmm. abadar is also lawful neutral and alive in starfinder so that's not going to happen to him you might be able to figure something out using that yeah potentially yeah i mean they can't end the settings so the the only thing i was thinking is like i feel like the ap that ends the setting is the rovagug ap where rovagug wins and the gap happens mm-hmm. yeah Aslant comes back. God, we don't need another Aslant thing either. <laughs> For fuck's sakes. <laughs> well, I think that pretty much wraps that up. Did we have any more questions or we want to wrap it up here? Uh, I haven't seen any additional ones. All right. Sounds good. Well, let me turn the tables then. How about a final jab? We got any of them? Oh, wait. No, I'm supposed to do wrap up before that. Never mind. All right. So... Right now, I think we're existing in this weird for this episode, like Schrodinger's cat version of Speak with Plants, where like for the live people right now, it hasn't come out. But for the folks who catch this when it drops on the main feed, it will be out. So for those folks who of you who are live here, it is going to premiere May 16th on the Bestow Curse feed. You're going to get episodes one and two there, but then the entire thing and the subsequent episodes. So that's session zero plus the first three episodes are going to be available. I believe that's like this week, right? The 16th? Tuesday. Yeah, Tuesday. Yeah. So you're going to get like four hours of that or something. And it's really fucking fun. So I had a blast recording all of that. I think people are really going to connect with it. We've talked quite a bit about Origins, but don't really have an update there, so I'm going to move on. The very last thing that I want to talk about is you can swing by the 25 North feed, I believe, tomorrow as of the recording of this episode, so Sunday, to hear my episode that I guested on of their Dubious Knowledge show. We talk about Phorasma, and I think the episode clocks in at like solid two and a half hours. There's a lot going on there. And Griff, you've recorded one with them, right? Or are going to? Yeah, I recorded last week, which I I think there's no firm date on that, but I Mm -hmm. believe it's coming out in June. And I did Zonkathon. And uh, I believe, you know, we'll see with editing, but that came in probably over two hours as well. Oof. Lot to talk about about the core deities. For sure. And I think that's kind of, I was talking to Jason a little bit. They're going to do most, if not all of them. So lots of really cool content coming from those folks soon. I've really been enjoying that behind the scenes. Yeah, I think, I think like once, you get to, really cool. once you get to like uh, demigods and stuff, you got to start grouping them to, <laughs> to have episodes that long. You know what I mean? Yeah. It's like, oh, we could talk, talk about, uh, you know, we could talk about the black butterfly for like 20 minutes. <laughs> right, you want, yeah. You know? All right, well, I think that pretty much wraps us up. So I guess now it's time for the final jab. Haley, what do we got this week? I got one from Corey. Uh, oh, what a surprise. What a shock. A little known access fact among the things stored in the vaults of Abadar, Steve's dignity. Hey, it's perfect. Well, <laughs> the first. I, I think that pretty much wraps us up for this time. We are about to jump over into the Drunken Discordly channel in our Discord for a little bit of an after party for those of you who are joining us live. But for everybody else, you made it out of the zone of truth. You succeeded your will save. Griffin, is there anything that you want to tell these folks before we wrap it up? Uh, Finish your drinks. We'll see you in two weeks. Later. Later.